0: what is going on everybody it's gage and brock here uh with more tiefling talks what is this six seven
1: it's a lot
0: yeah we're getting up there uh <laughs> the the high single digits it's it's yeah. becoming too much um
1: wouldn't miss it for the world
0: yeah no it's it's fun uh being able to come in here and just kind of bs hang out talk with uh talk with some of your best friends and just talk about uh some cool topics you know
1: Speaking of cool topics, what's on the palette today?
0: Um, I believe me and you were looking at doing something along the lines of, uh, you know, the kind of roles that um, virtual tabletops, regular tabletops, video games, MMOs, um, they all kind of share this, um, at least when they're going with the RPG type uh, style of gameplay or MMO uh, tag of uh, of roles, you know, um, whether you're a support role, a tank, a DPS. You know, you've you've got a little bit of each of that in every type of video game you play.
1: Right, that makes sense. So back when D and D initially started and they came out with uh like pre written modules where your characters were actually part of the module. You just had a sheet that was included with the game. They really stuck to and I've noticed other games do this a lot, like a a four person party where you have a ranged DPS, typically like a ranger or something, a melee DPS, like a, a paladin, a healer as a cleric, and like a barbarian for a meat shield. Um, do you often see this in games you're running still, or have things like changed and evolved since then?
0: You know, um, I always tell my players to pick what they're going to have fun with, but more times than not, what I see them doing is asking in chat who's playing what. And it's always about um, kind of rounding out the party for making sure they have someone who can heal, someone who deals damage, someone who can tank. So instead of, um, you know, actually going for playing two rogues in a party or playing two wizards, you know, they feel like they have to do this to be able to have their standout moments, which I don't think is true in the slightest, you know
1: do you like frown upon or like disagree with this party dynamic? Or do you think there's still a reason that people are doing it?
0: I think it is the stereotype that's just surrounds, um, at least D and D in general, when people think about playing it, they think about a well-balanced party that all kind of contributes, but they all bring something unique. And that's, um, that can be done without, uh, everyone being a different class I mean, you could run a party of bards, and they can all play it differently, and you guys just have some sort of chaotic campaign. Um, But I don't say I'd frown on it, but I do definitely wish that um, more groups I ran games for would, uh, you know, kind of choose to roleplay diversify themselves versus uh, mechanically diversify themselves is the best way I guess I could put it.
1: Uh, And we can definitely touch more on the idea of an all-bard party, because I feel like even subclasses really can define these roles if you want them to. Or even multiple roles. It doesn't have to be limited to just a straight healer. Um, But we can get into more examples of that a little later. Um, But when you mean, like, roleplay diversify themselves, can you give me an example? Like, how would your rogue go about role playing into another another character role
0: right so i mean let's say that you you chose uh you had three people that chose rogue right um i was about to join a campaign not too long ago that actually had this and i was going to join as another rogue because you know it's my favorite class i know how to play it and i i seem to think i play it well who knows um but You know, you don't have to sit there and have all these rogues and just think, oh, they're all going to do the same thing. There's a lot of flavor they can um, each bring to the table. And there's a lot of differences that, you know, you can bring. You know, my rogue could be one that uses bows and shoots from a distance. Another rogue could be one that only likes melee combat. The last rogue could just be a thief who doesn't care for combat at all, you know. And so what they go around doing is they just um sleight of hand pickpocket the enemies and take stuff off of them you know Um, instead of them having that healing potion the enemy having the healing potion to take nope your third rogue has gone around taking that healing potion from him so now he can't heal um and it's kind of uh diversifying yourself not only like that but also in role play scenarios where you guys can have very different personalities and that's something that I'm trying to incorporate more into my games is, yes, combat is a very fun part of Dungeons and & Dragons and a very active part on everybody's um, uh, turns and everything like that. But I really feel like the niche is hitting those role play moments with your group and being able to really let them delve into their characters and flush them out further than, you know, mechanically what they can do.
1: Okay, so less so having like a a utility or a purpose towards another role but more getting rid of the role system entirely and just playing how you feel rather than how is like so-called a mechanical correct
0: yeah because you know everybody looks for that good balance and you know i believe that even outside of the whole role system of having your tank and your support and everything like that um even in real life people always try to find a good balance with things in their life and while that's Not necessarily bad, it leads to a lot of, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but samism, I guess is the best uh, way I can describe it, but where everybody's just kind of doing the same thing because it's the best balance. And that's not often the most fun, you know, Um, that's where you kind of get those people that stick out in society a little too much. Uh, Those are the people that are doing stuff that they are actually enjoying and having fun with, you know, their life isn't balanced, sure, but you know, they're, they're enjoying their life for what it is and i think that can also be applied to the the whole roles uh dynamic here is that yes you know you can conform and do what everybody else is doing by finding a well-balanced party but you know why not play two rangers i mean yes you got different subclasses that can help different spells and multiple different ways to mechanically change it but at the end of the day it is really how you play your character um you can be a a cleric and you can still be the frontline fighter, you know, like it really just depends on how you want to play and role play your uh, character. Um, For instance, you know, if I had a group of all clerics, um, I heard about this idea and I forgot where I heard it on, but I would play a cleric that is based on the American healthcare system. So (laughs) I would be uh, charging my party to heal them. And while there are other clerics and everything like that, I would always RP that my healings are some of the best quality heals you can get. You know, I leave no scars behind when I heal. I do this, I do that. And it's something that obviously I'd work with a DM on and make sure that it wasn't like protruding on any of his ideals of the, the game or the table. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I'm still playing a cleric, but I'm very much bringing a different sense of the, of the word cleric to the table.
1: Sure. So instead of um, just like playing, you can still fill the healer role per se, but instead of filling it in a stereotypical just heal bot way, just adding your own personality style to the character.
0: Right. And, um, you know, actually in the game I have before the one uh, I run on Sundays, the one I have at noon on Sundays, it's a zombie apocalypse theme. But in there I have two clerics and uh, they both very much play very differently one of the clerics is a um, he's an upfront uh, in their face kind of fighter uh, and he's very much the melee the tank uh, you know he he, he's not a tanky person but he steps into the tank role and um, then I have another cleric that sits in the back with a bow and he uses a bow just the entire time not casting any spells unless it's to heal somebody and so you've got two versions of clerics. They got the same spell list. They actually chose both the same domains. They play two very different roles of the healer. One acts as a tank. One acts as a ranged fighter, basically.
1: Sure, that makes sense. Um, so how do you feel about the way that you've played characters in the past? Do you feel like you kind of like embody this? i don't really play by the the pre-written system sort of idealism or do you feel characters such as like vol for instance with his um main ability to just like pick someone out of the fight and just eliminate them right at the beginning uh do you feel that plays into a trope or do you feel like um your role play around that character kind of subverts the trope
0: yeah, and it's it's really tough to say because I'm going to be honest, I, besides that campaign, I believe I've only played in one other campaign since starting D&D as an actual player. I've only played as a player twice in my entire D&D career. Um, hashtag forever DM, basically. Uh, but the two characters I played, uh, well, I should say three because there were two from the Friday night campaign. Uh, there was the Artificer I played and then there was the um uh vol obviously who was the rogue dps and then the other campaign i played as a um as a fighter um you know because i when i played that came campaign it was very early on and uh you know i had watched a lot of videos on dnd and stuff at this point and i You know, I knew that playing a martial class would be easier to kind of sink into this new 5e system with. And so I went with a fighter. Um, And right off the bat, kind of joining into Chris's campaign, um, we weren't getting like power level crazy weapons at this point when I was playing as Gage, the Warforged Artificer. But he allowed Gage to create these kind of cool items that very much overpowered the party. And, um, you know, for instance, uh, our, um, our, I think it was, uh, Quid the gnome got a necklace that when they used it, it basically turned them into Iron Man. Um, you got, uh, or came and got the, uh, the, the brother's call, which gives him the ability to summon, uh, I think seven warforges when used.
1: Yep, the jetpack warforge squad. Yep.
0: And they got, uh, they all should spawn with either a rifle or a revolver, but uh, either way, um, I believe Matsui got a coin that when flipped allowed them or no, they got a uh, deck of business cards that they could give out and they get additional like um, uh, price increases or decreases based on what they're trying to buy or sell. Um, Korra got uh, the rail, the handrail gun, which is basically um, an electrified version of the, the pistol um or the revolver and it it shoots out a high speed bullet but it destroys the gun uh, upon use because it's so powerful um and i believe uh he gave something to Wistari as well but or not Wistari uh uh the, the cat Katerina Kettleby. Yeah,
1: Kettleby There we go
0: um i forgot what he oh That's the one that he gave the coin to, which heads, it makes somebody tell the truth uh, when they ask the question or tails, it would cause them to, uh, it would cause Wastari to have to lie about something very important to the group and um so that was kind of fun because i got to play this role of a tinkerer you know it, it really had no support or you know anything like that yes I, I could contribute but i was all about jumping into the oh how do i make potions or how do i craft this i want to just craft things you know i want to be a mechanical person i'm along with the party sure but that's just to um you know uh help obviously came in get to the end and uh rescue our our old man and you know gage had his morals and everything like that but uh you know at the end of the day he really just his fun facet was crafting things um and i feel like that comes from a big part of me as a person when i built that character and so i don't think that really fit any role i role played really well with that character because it was uh, a chunk of me and it didn't fit into that whole role system of okay are you a dps no not really Okay, are you a tank? And I could be, but not really. Are you a magic caster, this or that? You know, and going through the roll list, I really didn't fit any of those spots. You know, I was just there. You know, I I could deal damage, wasn't the most. I could take uh, I could take a hit, but there are people with higher AC. Um, and so I'd be sitting there, and you know, that's that's what I enjoy doing. I every time I had downtime, if I wasn't talking with Cayman, I was. Ew on my own building something. And so that was a very much not in the role system. And then, um, you know, everything happened. Um, uh, he wound up, uh, dying. And so that's when Vol stepped in and I went with Rogue cause it was another martial class. I still wasn't comfortable enough with going with, um, uh, spell levels and casting yet because it's just, I was still new to five E at this point. And, uh, when I picked up Vol, uh, I went with Rogue. And I think at this point, you kind of, um, you started to, uh, I don't know, your min-maxing kind of started to give me ideas and inspire me to be like, hmm, how could I optimize this character to really mess some shit up? And uh, I'm
1: just such a good influence.
0: Yeah. And uh, look at me now dealing like, 260 damage on one turn of combat
1: yep we're so proud
0: but yeah that definitely fits the role of the dps you know and honestly i think i've hit that kind of threshold where it's been fun playing vol but i really want to play somebody that rp doesn't really um fit into a role but does something that they truly enjoy or does something that they really want to do. Um, You know, someone who yes, is there with the party, but they really don't fit any of those roles. They can definitely step into them if it's needed, but um, they're more of just, they're doing their own thing. Like uh, I remember, I, I don't know if you want me to say this out loud, but the, the, your lazy spellcaster you were telling me about.
1: Go for it.
0: So, um, you know, that's that's something that I very much uh, would like to see is that you play a uh, I think it was a wizard, right, who um, is just learning spells to make your life more uh, uh, easy, I guess, or easier. Um, So that way you had to do less and you didn't have to get up and do as much.
1: Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that as well. But, you know, too many ideas, never enough time.
0: Oh, of course, of course. That's the only only good thing about, I don't want to say only good thing, but one of the good things about being a DM is, you know, all these characters I create, I'm like, hmm, let's go ahead and throw them in that campaign.
1: Right, because you can run, like, self-insert characters in any of your games, because every character is a self-insert.
0: Right. And, you know, that's that's something that um, I always like the reaction I get when I tell players they're facing somebody with actual class levels. Because, like, I guess not too many people do that, but I think that's, like, a really cool thing. Especially if you can balance it right, is having your party of level 2s uh, fight a level 3 kind of boss or level 4 in their class uh, and deal some damage. That way, um, you know, obviously you're not going to take a level 20 character and throw them at a bunch of level 1s, but... Uh, if you balance it right, you can create quite the impactful um, combat encounter.
1: Yeah, you definitely can. You can also fuck shit up pretty bad, but it is very fun to watch everything go right or go wrong.
0: Or go no wrong and then right.
1: Happen. Yeah. Basically, no matter what happens with an event like that, it's going to be fun. And that's what really matters.
0: Yeah, of course. And, you know, kind of circling back around to the the role system um you know with you playing in not only my campaigns the friday one but also uh tory's campaign and i'm sure you've played plenty of others what do you typically see is it most people try to round themselves off or do you see everybody kind of you know playing whatever they feel like they're gonna have fun with and role playing the heck out of it you know
1: i feel like it comes down to um like best way to describe it whoever gets there first like calling dibs basically um and it's not it's not the greatest system but it feels like whoever gets to the discord server first or however you guys are communicating and then says like hi everybody i would like to play xyz and then like most of the time the other players will be like okay since you're playing xyz here's what i can play to to complement that and that's what I usually see as far as, um, like people filling out classes basically is, uh, they'll see, like, okay, we have uh, a DPS, like a DPR paladin or something, um, like a dex based paladin with, like, a, a smite rapier in the defense fighting style or in fighting style, whatever. Um, and then we have, like, a, a zealot barbarian. So, okay, let's get somebody who's good at like, helping them continue to make their saves. So, again, back to the Paladin.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Paladins can basically do anything at this point. Um, yeah,
0: Spellcaster, Frontliner, Tank, DPS. They they really cover a lot of bases with a Paladin.
1: Yeah, immune to disease, they're a better horny bard than bards are.
0: Yeah, and then, um, you know, not to mention they get... Uh plus three to their saves and anyone within 10 feet of them gets plus three to their saves that's insane ability to have
1: yeah cayman has that uh too it's plus charisma bonus it's just stupid
0: oh yeah um and you know that's i'm gonna say some uh stuff that's totally my opinion and it's not how uh i reflect and play my games or host my games but my opinion is, honestly, if I had it my way, I feel like that's a little too meta gamey. You know, especially if you guys are all starting out in a tavern and none of you know each other. It's a little metagamey to have you guys work together before the game starts to balance out the party. I would think that I would basically put you all in a separate room, and each one of you tells me what you're going to play separately. We build your character, and then they all come together. If you guys happen to be five bards and a wizard, so be it. That's how you guys played it you know and that's that's how i would do it because you know that's it just makes more sense and i feel like at that point people don't feel pressured to play something else they can jump in with whatever character they initially wanted to play or had an idea of playing
1: and Uh, by all means i agree with you that would be a much better system um but that would actually be quite fun
0: right you know and i i see it kind of that would be the best way to go about kind of avoiding everyone just kind of rounding out the party but instead playing something that they truly care about and want to play because at the end of the day yes a character will grow on you but it's only going to grow so much if it's not something you want to play um you know if you're jumping in and you want to play um, a frontline fighter but you already got a barbarian a paladin a fighter um and somebody who claimed rogue Unless you're gonna pick monk, which monks aren't bad, I'm sure you want some type of weapon to hit with. Some you wanted to be the one with the great sword swinging it around on the front lines. Most times, people are gonna be like, "Well, well, I guess I'll just have to settle for a spellcaster, or you know, something along those lines, or the healer." And that's when it kind of it really sucks because these people aren't able to fully grasp this character and really make it their own, and that's why. I enjoy Chris's campaign so much is because, yes, we joke around, we laugh, we make jokes all the time, but I can step into the shoes of this character a lot of the times because I I enjoy the role I'm playing. Um, And, you know, uh, as I said before, you know, in a perfect world for me, then yes, I'd put everybody into a separate room, they'd make their classes on their own, and then I'd bring everybody together. However, how I actually play games is I put people into a, a group chat in the Discord server. I tell them, hey, um, you know, when they ask what character is everybody playing, I'm like, hey, here are the characters. But keep in mind, I always want you to play the character you're going to have the most fun with. So don't hesitate if you want to double up on one of these classes, because at the end of the day, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like they're limited in their choice.
1: Okay. So, going back to that idea of uh filling out like like hey, you guys can double up on classes. How do you feel about the subclasses and their ability to like give somebody the the deeper meaning behind their character or like the uh the ability to play like I really wanted to play this this weapon-based character, but for some reason I feel like I need to be a monk or something like that. Do you feel like, for instance, the say, do you feel like they do a good job of rounding that out?
0: Um, I guess the biggest issue is that people always see the class first. You know, that's the first thing that pops into people's mind. Oh, somebody's playing a paladin? It doesn't matter what subclass they choose. Even if we are starting out at level three, they're playing a paladin, I'll play something else. They don't see that the subclass can very much differentiate the classes there are very very different things that some subclasses give you and you can play very differently with like we were saying earlier six bards you know they can all choose a different college and all of a sudden you got six bards doing six different things and it's it's a completely different game you know everybody's got their own kind of uh place but i believe everybody especially you know obviously newer people they don't know too much about the game so they really don't look into all these different subclasses. They're already overwhelmed with just the number of classes they have to choose from. And so they really don't look deeper beyond that. So you get a lot of people looking at, um, what I would say is, uh, more or less the, the kind of, uh, overarching kind of class hierarchy there.
1: Okay. And then, um, this is going to put you a little bit on the spot. So sorry about that. But, uh, Can you think off the top of your head, like what sort of uh, subclasses do you feel like really do a good job of like breaking the mold of their overall class or like giving players a chance to play something that's not just the base fighter or the base paladin or something like that?
0: Okay. Um. I guess what I would have to go with, you know, obviously, like I said, I really love the rogue class. That is just my go-to. Like I can really have fun with this. Uh, I like sneaking around. I like being stealthy. I am, uh, IRL, I am an edge lord of a person when it comes to creating characters. So I really uh, enjoy all of that stuff. Um. But uh, I think that, um, from what I've seen, actually, I I have a game I run on Tuesdays where two people are playing rogues. And they both chose something different one went with the um, psionic rogue where you could create the psionic blades and then the other one went with uh i think it was uh phantom if i'm not mistaken two very different ways to play the rogue um you know one has psionic abilities that uh cause psychic damage the other one just vanishes you know um, they disappear and so um you know this one rogue now with these psionic abilities is up front, he's fighting in the front. The other rogue, she's uh disappearing and then showing up behind the enemies and uh getting the sneak attack damage, helping the psionic rogue grab his sneak attack damage as well.
1: Man, that that brings back some memories. The uh the psionic ways and their uh is that back when it was a uh just a d10 that you could either add to damage or like uh to resist some damage you roll a d10 subtract it
0: uh yeah it was something along those lines that allows you to kind of negate some damage uh to yourself but you could also send out these um you basically send out these uh psionic kind of energy blades and you uh hit with those and they instantly transport back to your hand so um you're able to kind of have this returning dagger very early on
1: yeah, that's a uh, man. Psionics are a very hot topic. Something we'll have to discuss another night. Um, in how many times wizards has failed to implement them?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's such a cool concept. But um, sticking with rogues and their uh, their variation, how about the arcane trickster and the idea of giving a a half caster?
0: Yeah. No. Definitely. The
1: abilities of that.
0: The Arcane Tricksters uh really good to play because it brings this martial class that would otherwise have no spellcasting ability, um, a uh, spellcasting abilities basically, um, and giving them a little bit of insight into that, um, it's a very good uh, dip into uh playing a little bit of a caster when you um you know have been playing martial classes and you're trying to learn more about casting, um, but other than that it it, it really kind of changes the dynamic of what a martial class was supposed to be because this martial class is supposed to be you know uh all physical damage kind of uh stuff like that yes they'll have magical weapons that do some magical damage but that'll be based on the weapon and not on their class but with the arcane trickster that all changes and um it's a nice reprieve from the norm uh and i believe that uh when utilized properly, it, it can be a great change for two rogues playing the same class. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, I probably would have went with it with for Vol, but, you know, Chris gave us such powerful fucking uh, weapons right off the bat with magical properties. I never really needed or had the feeling because he gave me the, I believe it was called the Staff of the Underdark, which as long as i could speak undercommon i could use it it had seven charges and six different spells i can choose from it um the the cloud of daggers the uh the web mirror image um and i believe there are like uh three or four other spells i can cast with it as well and a great great weapon to have is a rogue who can speak undercommon just by chance and you know i've been using it ever since Actually, that's where my mirror image actually comes from that I, I deploy on myself or give to somebody else when
1: needed. So say you have, like, a a Barbarian or something who, like, their character, they would typically want, like, a Great Axe or something with a big damage die. They took, like, Great Weapon Master so they can reroll ones and twos on their damage dice or whatever. Um, but maybe they want to play a Dex Barbarian and they, like, don't come forward with this. How do you feel or like how do you deal with this when you give your barbarian this like uh i don't know what's a like a magical great axe of some kind, maybe you give him like a plus one great axe of warning or something like that right,
0: or you know um, when Vern got the uh the flame tongue great sword and was dealing forty six every time he hit,
1: yeah, but how do you deal with it if a a player comes to you afterwards like, hey, this weapon's great, but I'm planning on playing a dex build. This, this great ax doesn't work. I can't use this. How would you approach that situation?
0: Right. Um, it's kind of difficult because you put the DM in a hot spot at that point. Cause now he not only feels bad because at least on my end, I don't, I don't, I feel bad because I didn't, I, I feel like I didn't read enough into your character. I wasn't paying attention to see that you were trying to go for a dex build. Um, and it, it on my end it makes me feel bad because uh, you know that's something that i never want my players to feel like i always want them to feel like when they get loot it is something they can use or uh, have of use you know yeah you'll find random kind of trinkets here and there but you know every once in a while when you open a chest that plus one is always going to be something that's tailored to the party um i'm not often going to put a uh let's say a um a plus one uh hand crossbow but nobody in the party can use it i'm not going to do something like that i always look and i look at everybody's proficiencies i look at what everybody's got i look what uh everybody's been using in the past and i'm like okay so this is what i'll place for this character this is what i'll place for this character and um that's how it kind of worked with you guys going through the uh the cave system on um uh, the Rise of the Silver Dawn campaign I run on Sundays is I looked at your guys's class and I looked okay, so there wasn't really anything I could do for you in terms of uh, an- another weapon uh, in uh, when coming to like using a rifle and stuff like that. That's more along the lines of the dwarves tinkering and upgrading process there. However, I could probably put in a melee weapon that you could always switch to if you needed, which came in with the Flame Tongue uh, uh, Rapier.
1: Flametongue Rapier, yep
0: and um you know for joan i put in the vicious quarter staff um i also put in the mace of disruption if she ever wanted to change it up um for uh coral i put in the uh the wand of the war mage and um for uh, austin i put in the um the great sword of life stealing as well as uh i believe plus one plate if i'm not mistaken or it's Uh, It's some type of oh, no, he got the uh, he got the plate that's resistant to slashing. Um, Okay,
1: so it's a matter of like on your end, before the the item is given out, before the reward is given, you're looking to make sure that there it's something that can be used rather than players to let you know.
0: So, yeah. And when a player hides something from me, it doesn't just hurt me it also hurts the player because then i can't make a encounter to um, utilize your guys's full potential or uh, give you items that really utilize your stuff i always try to address myself as the dm who is never against you guys and always wants to work with you guys because at the end of the day i can only make the encounter so good for as much as you guys tell me and you guys let me in on the more you guys keep from me the less i know The less i can tailor something to be a fun experience all around you know whether it's combat rp and otherwise um and so it can make it really hard on a dm if they're not really sure what type of direction the party's trying to take and um if you you know anyone out there's dm is much like me i very much want to create encounters that you guys enjoy that you guys love um and can kind of be like wow that wasn't that was that was pretty good It's better than just hitting back and forth you know there was a lot of dynamic that went into it and so uh, I can't do that when nobody tells me anything um, or I don't I'm not able to witness you guys doing stuff um, and so that's why I try to do as much research as I can and make it as prevalent as possible that I want you guys to have a great time and I want you guys to come out on top but I can only do so much
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's something that's lost on both a lot of DMs and a lot of players, is that in the end, it's not uh, the DM versus the players. It's everybody coming together for one narrative. And it really is sad that it seems like so many people gloss over that or just don't know it in the first place.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, I've actually come to witness this uh, uh, at one occurrence with my players, Uh, on my Tuesday game, the one with the two rogues that chose different subclasses, um, they had their private, um, kind of separate, uh, non DM discord that they were all talking in or whatever, the little private message group, which fine, you know, no, no issues with that whatsoever, but then they wound up doing something. And when, um, it didn't work out because realistically in my mind, that doesn't work in this scene, they all got really upset and they were like, oh, well, we put a lot of planning into this. And I'm like, okay, well, in the future, let me know because I can't plan to have an encounter ready or give you guys the opportunity to do this if you guys don't, you know, kind of give me some sort of leeway ahead. I'm very flexible, I'm really able to work with people, but, you know, um, for instance, it all relied on them kicking this guy off of a roof, you know, and into uh, a spite, uh, a a pitfall trap with uh, punji sticks in it and a bunch of oil to light on fire. They had a guy standing by and they went in to uh, kick the guy. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, sure, okay. And, um, you know, I rolled and he rolled his uh, save a lot higher. And, um, you know, me not knowing what's going on, they missed their character wound up like falling into the pit and they had to make a bunch of saves. And I was like, well, we could have thought this through a lot better if you guys would have just told me, because then I would have uh, looked at it and I would have been like, okay, what can I do to actually help my players out in this circumstance? You know, maybe there's a loose tile, maybe there's this or that, but when I'm put on the spot like that, I kind of just resort to what sounds like it would really happen in this scenario.
1: There's not really much that you can do besides that. It's, you know, everybody has to be on the same page. And sure, it might be cool or fun sometimes to uh to bring something out that really surprises the DM, knock them off their socks. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy... Like,
0: Dynamic uh, to always yeah, have.
1: Yeah, a healthy know. interaction between two people.
0: Yeah, because, I mean... I'm the type of guy that while I'm DMing, uh, as I'm watching you guys go through your turns, I'm not actually fully planning out the monster's turns. I'm looking at you guys making your uh, turns, and I'm looking at your guys' character sheets going, oh, you could use this as a bonus action shit. Don't tell them, don't tell them, you know, this is their character. Let them play it. And, you know, then, you know, it's not until after their turn ends, they're like, oh, damn, I wanted to use this as a bonus action. I'm like, oh, I fucking knew it, son of a bitch. I should have said something. Um, and so that it's it's kind of hard toting that line between how much do I interject to not seem like I'm micromanaging, but you know, also how little do I put in there to make it seem like I'm trying to help. You know, uh, that's something I do with new players all the time is I, I'll kind of walk through their turn with them and I'll be like, okay, so here's all the attacks you can make. Uh, I do want to mention as a bonus action if you want to, you can kind of cast uh, uh, Hunter's Mark before you make your attack. I totally allow that in my games. And, you know, it makes sense to have your Hunter's Mark on them, attack them, and then get the uh, damage of that. Because, for instance, uh, when we had Grange in our Sunday campaigns, always using Hunter's Mark. And anytime I, I didn't hear him say it, I'm like, hey, uh, just making sure you're using Hunter's Mark, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I almost forgot. Thank you. And, you know, put Hunter's Mark on it and continue on um because at the end of the day i i want to see you guys mess up the encounter i want to see you guys destroy it and kind of come out but i don't want it to be too easy that you guys absolutely have no fun doing it but um well enough that you guys are not guaranteed to win but uh somewhere
1: close right want to see the cleric you know blow up some enemy with guiding bolt or something just out of nowhere
0: oh yeah uh blow the the right corner of a building off with guiding bolts and um you know just just have some really great moments and you know obviously you guys are going to walk away pretty banged up but at the end of the day you all survived and you had some pretty cool moments that at least i like to think uh were really cool moments where you know you you got them crits and they just demolished the enemy
1: yeah and uh that's in the end what matters is walking away and well walking away matters a lot but uh walking away with a good memory is even better at that
0: yeah because at the end of the day when you're playing dungeons and dragons um you can walk away a couple of ways that i'm not going to say are positive or negative but um you can walk away dissatisfied with how the campaign ended Or uh, the session and you can walk away completely satisfied with how it ended and that could include um, whether it was a role play moment of losing a member of the party or um, losing an npc that you guys had drawn really close to stuff like that that's that's a i don't want to say a great way to end the campaign but that's a very nice way to kind of have something where it feels real like you walk away and you're like well, holy shit, Uh, theater of the mind, something in my head, has just made me sad all day. What the hell? It wasn't even my mind that it came out of It was somebody else's. How did somebody's thought make me sad? You know? And that's a really cool thing to have is when you can have your players walking away going, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, I feel like that's one of the biggest compliments you can really give somebody is like, what the fuck? Something coming out of someone else's brain
0: right you know it's just wild because there's there's a lot of work that goes into a homebrew world a story and stuff like that so when there's these moments of people really like oh um well damn is it is is it okay if i cast ceremony for um the the kid that died here and you know the all the players are into it and you hear some of their voices quivering and you're like wow this is a very real fake moment you know like uh we're all sitting here over grieving this thought of a of an npc and it's very real some people are feeling that while i don't want to say i don't know what the word for it is it's not great but it's it's an amazing um uh feat to accomplish not only on the dm side but for the players to feel that and the dm realize that they realize that they are bringing enough realism and enough um, uh, content to this that people can really envision the loss of this NPC child.
1: Right. Well, it's not like, woohoo yippee, it's satisfying, I think is the best way to put it.
0: Right. You know, um, uh, to find a game that, um, you know, not just some video game that you play as or something like that, you know a, a single session where yes you guys are into your characters and you've just met these NPCs but by the end the end of it the NPC dies saving you all kind of brings that moment of wow it makes me feel some type of way it's uh, i guess it's it's hard to explain but if anybody's ever watched anime and it's like watching anime compared to IRL movies or TV shows. There's not a lot of movies or TV shows that like really make you feel sad or like giddy or happy. But in my eyes, when I watch an anime that makes me feel those, I feel those tenfold. You know, I cry when they lose somebody that's like super, super uh, been important to the main uh, protagonist the entire series and then dies like six sessions in or six episodes in. Like I, I cry, you know and to have that on a tabletop game that same feeling that same um amplification i guess versus you know just playing normal video games it's it's a whole different experience
1: yeah no kidding that's for sure um yeah there's definitely been moments where that's rung true for our games um with the passing of many characters in your games and in chris's game with pc's deaths it's it's heavy it's difficult to deal with sometimes
0: right and you know sometimes it's not always planned sometimes it's just the way the dice roll you know and those i think are the most unexpected moments for everyone including the dm um i've had it where uh Who's I DMing for? Which group? Either way, they were playing the uh, the Pirate Island one, right? And, um... Jamie... Spoilers for anyone that wants to play it. Uh, Jamie doesn't always die, right? However, when players play a certain way and they follow a certain path, that leads to Jamie's death, right? So sitting there uh, we were sitting there and we were playing they were on the path to letting Jamie live right and they they kind of took uh, some sort of shortcut and I decided okay well at this point I'm gonna leave it up to the dice and so Jamie comes in saves the group but uh, Alexis her sister from the pirate island winds up killing her for it uh, finds out that she's been aiding these uh, escapees and so this moment of uh, me having all these other plans for Jamie in this uh, campaign, uh, like three other sessions gone, you know, this, this NPC that I thought I had more time to kind of be with, to kind of prepare their, their death scene and kind of, um, or their living scene, whichever way they chose, you know, kind of preparing it more, the dice rolled negative and she didn't make it. And now I'm even sitting here speechless. like, wow, this is kind of sad, But uh, she's just gone. Uh, She's not breathing. You don't see her moving at all.
1: Right, you get hit with the, uh, well, shit, what now?
0: Right, and it it becomes a very real moment of, damn, I kind of want to have a moment of silence, but I'm the DM and this is my character that I've uh, put in here, so I got to keep going, you know? And um, the players, after they got out of that encounter and got to safety... Uh, they all kind of sat there, and I, probably at least five to six minutes, nobody said anything. Everybody was just kind of sitting there. And I'm like, "So, what does the group want to do now?" And everybody was just like, uh, what? What do we do now?" <laughs> and, yeah,
1: probably not a whole fuck of a lot after that,
0: right? So it was just, it was uh you know, those moments happen to DMs as well. You know, when you, when you grow attached to a character and, um, whether it's the first time losing this character and running this session or the third or fourth time, um, I, I don't know, man, I, am a very emotional person, I guess. And so I really involve myself into not only my player characters, um, and their kind of backstories, their lives and stuff like that, um, and how they play their class, but also the NPCs. I, I, want to make the world feel as real as possible so i have to delve into those mindsets and really bring them to life and it it's basically like i cut a sliver off of my soul and mind each time making these npcs and put them put it in there to allow them to take on this form so when it really does pass i feel like i'm losing a part of myself only to realize i gotta run this again next tuesday and i'm like oh god i don't think i can handle the mental pressure
1: yeah no fuck that's uh, definitely not something that can be easy.
0: But with uh, with saying that, let's wrap back around to the original topic of uh, the role system.
1: <laughs> yeah, we got a, a little bit off topic there.
0: Yeah, a little bit on a tangent, but that's all right. It was, uh, it was a good kind of explaining, I guess, my disposition of, of being a DM. You know, I, I just get too far into it and... I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I honestly don't think it's mentally great either. Growing so attached to characters and having to kill them off. Um,
1: I mean, you can get admitted to a psych ward for that, but you know, it's all part of life.
0: That is very true. Um, yeah. So the, the role system, hold on. I got to kind of reset my brain back to that. Uh, I think that it's both a positive and negative impact if I'm going to give my overall opinion. The positive impact is that, um, you know, it lets new players kind of round out their party and kind of experience a full game of of the standard, stereotypical Dungeons & Dragons gameplay. Um, and I think that's... I don't want to say that's how Wizards of the Coast intended it with making all these classes and everything like that, but it's definitely they're definitely not free of blame for getting that stereotype uh, kind of at the forefront. Um, I would say that it is bad for, uh, or something that veteran players should look to avoid, somebody who's got, you know, uh, a campaign under their belt or two, uh, quite a few sessions at least, and, um, you know, have got some experience with 5e. I I definitely think that you guys should avoid, you know, going for well-rounded parties and really play, whatever you guys want to bring to the table um absolutely play the dps if you want to play the dps don't don't hinder somebody else from playing the dps don't um don't kind of run into it and just be like oh he's playing dps i can't do that you know have the mindset of yeah he's playing dps so what i'm gonna play dps too what it what it is um and really just go into it and have fun because I'm not going to say all DMs are like this, but um, speaking from personal experience, at least my experience, I am definitely going to make encounters to where each person has a moment to shine, and the dice will either help me or hinder me a little bit in that, and I'll do my best to kind of fix it where I can. Um, You know, when somebody gets three crits on their power moves, there's really nothing I can do about that, but... um, So they'll probably get a little bit more spotlight uh, than the others, but, you know, I try to learn from that one session and take it and apply it to the next session and be like, okay, well, um, you know, the spotlight was on character X for so long, so character Y, it's a little bit more about you. And, you know, whether their characters built to be DPS as well, I'll give them some opportunities to really go in and deal some damage. Or I will, uh, if they're more RP-based or a different role, I will find some way to cater to them because... There's no sense in having you at my table if I'm not gonna make you feel included.
1: Yeah, and that aw, oh, that's so sweet. Um Yeah, I think that's a really just a really nice way to put it as a whole. Because, um, like even if the uh the well rounded party might be more um like stronger in a combat sense, just straight like dpr checks that doesn't really matter like in the end because again it's a story it's not a competitive game it's not about winning or losing it's about the journey and all that sappy crap
0: yeah for sure you know um it's it's uh 50 role play 50 percent combat you know yes obviously people can put puzzles in there but I feel like it's really tough to do puzzles if you don't want to put in a bunch of work because puzzles, um, everybody's mindset is different. Nobody thinks uh, necessarily the same way. So you're going to get a bunch of puzzles uh, and they could absolutely make sense. The pathways make sense to you in your mind. But if you don't give the car- uh, players any legends or anything like that, obviously they're kind of stumbling in the dark. They don't really know what you're trying to get at. Um, but you know, that being a different point, you know, I always, I always see Dungeons and Dragons as, uh, mostly, uh, role play and mostly combat. And, um, I believe your characters should have a little bit of a dip in both, but, um, more so than not play something you enjoy. I don't want you to be miserable at my table. That's the whole point in having you at my table is so that way you can have fun. You're there to escape whatever is going on in your life and enjoy the fake reality fantasy I put in front of you. And if you can enjoy that and uh, really delve into it, then we are doing something wrong.
1: I think that's a, a really nice way to just put a bow on everything there. Um is just we've talked about this in so many sessions or in so many uh podcasts before, but that's just because it rings so true. Communication, communicate with your DM, communicate with your players. I don't know. Communicate with your fucking goldfish. Just yeah. talk things through.
0: Look your gerbil straight it. in the eyes. Tell them, Hey, I'm having fun in this campaign.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, don't, don't fuck up a good thing.
0: Right. You know, it's, it's <laughs> it's so hard to explain it, but it makes so much sense once you've played enough D D find a table, talk to people, figure out whether it's your table. If it's not no harm, no foul, talk to people, communicate. That's it. That's all it is. It is all, all communication. That's all D is actually based upon. You cannot have a DM who hosts a session. If he is not communicating with you in some way, shape or form, So, at the very foundation, D&D is nothing without communication. Whether it's verbal, through text, or whatever, there is some way he is telling you about the scene you are in, the uh, enemies you encounter, the stuff you deal with. Um, So, at its base, D&D is nothing without communication. So, play on that. Go for it. Dive right in. Yes, you can be shy. You can ask a couple general questions. If you ever come to me as a player and you're like, you ask me, you know, a simple little question like, hey, what type of campaign is this? I am going to send you all of the details. I will ask you hundreds of questions and then I will give you answers to those questions because I want you to know what I know. I want to communicate with you. I want to get to know you so I can build a game that you love. Not everybody shares the same sentiment, but, um, you know. Teach their own, and from my, my end, I absolutely, one hundred percent, love having my players at the table all the time, and I never, ever, ever want them to feel like they can't talk to me about something. <sighs> well, with that being said, I think this is a good place to wrap things up.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. That seems like a, a very well and done tour. yeah We to hit, yeah. yeah.
0: Um. As always, uh, links in the podcast description for Brock's YouTube channel. Obviously, this is on the YouTube channel as well, so hit subscribe, like, comment. Uh, tell us what your thoughts are about this. Um, and, uh, you know, you can always find my Start Playing stuff down in the description as well to kind of jump in and see if I've got any open time slots that you can play in some campaigns with me.
1: Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's always a blast it doesn't matter who's there it's it's a hoot
0: this last session with you was definitely a blast as you blew up the the alchemy jug i was i was like oh no he's getting rid of the alchemy jug there was so much mayonnaise to be had
1: yeah i was very upset i wanted to uh to keep the oil but when our paladin's on like four health yeah. And, like, trying to run away. Something had to be done.
0: Right. It was it was an actual encounter, you know, and uh, it played through it. But, regardless, that's a topic for another time. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me, Brock. And uh, we'll see all of you lovely people next week.
1: Ah, take care, everybody.